Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel, we're your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. Apologies for the, let's call it hiatus of sorts, um, I, beyond being a new dad, which is going great. The timing with my guests was a little bit awkward just because these are the Division Capsule podcast that requires two people at the same time. A lot of people take vacation. I didn't want to push them for obvious reasons. So we're going to get started with the Division Capsule podcasts with an amazing duo, the Pacific Division with Kevin Pelton of ESPN, Ben Golliver of the Washington Post, who have a lot of experience recording together and, of course, separately. And we get into a lot. And these five teams, even though they are remarkably stable from a personnel perspective, have a lot going on. I have a lot of, you know, arguing about which of these teams are going to make the playoffs and all that is really fascinating. And for those of you who are fans of some of the teams that we get to a little later, we don't get to the Suns for a little bit and the Kings. We spend plenty of time on them. It's just that it's more in the later part because we get caught into some other discussions earlier on. Conversation runs well over an hour. Lots of great stuff here. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Thanks as always for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Danny. I feel like this is the geriatric division, right? I mean, we <laughs> Steph Curry, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Kevin Durant, just all easing into retirement, but still somehow maybe competing for titles. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's it's a really fascinating group on that respect. I was thinking about that much later in the podcast. We'll talk about breakout players. It's like, this is a very established division. And who knows, maybe yep. by the time the season starts or midseason, James Harden is in it too. And then it would become even more established levels of players. But uh, Kevin, I wanted to start with you just on this basic premise and feel free to use whatever lens you want, whether you want to use like talent in, talent out or something else on. These teams stayed remarkably stable, but which of them do you think got material, if any, got materially better or materially worse? Yeah, I wasn't. This wasn't an easy one at all. There's there's no clear examples. I think they're all going to relatively be in. Well, not necessarily in the same position, because I think there are some teams that are going to improve or decline due to regression in the mean health, etc. Uh, I eventually said I feel like the Lakers, Suns and Kings have all gotten a little better in terms of their offseason talent in talent out. And the Warriors got a little worse, in my opinion, which is funny because I, I actually am pretty optimistic as we'll get to about the Warriors. But I, I think if you just look at from pure talent standpoint at losing both Jordan Poole and Dante DiVincenzo and bringing back, you know, Chris Paul and, and Dario Saric, I think that's a slight downgrade. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I've, I had them just sort of, you know, basically even. I didn't think it was a meaningful move one way or the other. I'm, I'm not super high on the Chris Paul addition, which I think would be the best argument you could make for them having somehow got better if you really believe in that Chris Paul fit. Um, I don't. So I was just sort of met on them. I want to just like cheat a little bit. And if we change the timeline from, you know, getting better from, say, July 1st back to the trade deadline, when the Lakers basically had, you know, effectively their free agency period because they were able to resign all those guys they traded for. I, I mean, after watching Russell Westbrook for 18 months in person in Los Angeles, this team got so much better, so much more fun, so much more aesthetically pleasing. And so if you if you tweak it that way and you give them credit for being able to keep all the guys they wanted to keep on on relatively reasonable contracts this summer, I felt like the Lakers were the team that really deserved to be in that better category. Yeah, I think that's a really fair point. It was something I thought about a little bit with the Warriors as well, because Stephen Curry played 56 games last year. Andrew Wiggins played 37 regular season games last year. And so there will be injuries. And who knows? Steph Curry may play fewer than 56 games. I don't think anybody who watches basketball wants that to be the case, but it's entirely possible. And I, I want to, with the Lakers, I, I fully agree with you, Ben, that the 
relative to where they started the 22-23 season, they are significantly better. And something that I want to praise Rob Polinka for, which I haven't always done, is that he kind of maintained within the theory of the team. I would have loved for them to have brought in a capable center just to lighten some of the load on Anthony Davis, but bringing in, using their... JaVale's, JaVale's still out there, Danny. He is still out there. So is Dwight. <laughs> so they, they could even just bring in names they already know. But I I appreciate what Dennis Schroeder brought to this team last year and having Gabe Vincent, and not only having Gabe Vincent, but on a three-year deal, which is pretty, I think is going to look very reasonable over time, though I am a pretty big Gabe Vincent believer, is somebody who makes sense with that theory of the team, who is not the most dynamic on-ball presence, but can defend well, can defend kind of different roles. I'm not going to say like intensely on different positions, but then can also hopefully, hopefully hit open shots. And so it's along the lines of, you know, I go back to, God, was that 2019? There was one of those, when they brought in LeBron, they had one of those teams that made no sense around him, is guys that can shoot, guys that can defend, generally they work well. And I think that this team checks a lot of the complimentary LeBron boxes. I totally agree. And and one of the differentiating factors for me when I look at, say, the Phoenix Suns, the Golden State Warriors, and the Lakers, who all have the same basic premise of aging superstars who we're trying to kind of build around them. You can even throw the Clippers in that category, too, if you wanted. I feel like the Lakers moves by getting off the Westbrook contract and filling out. I like their depth better than the Suns depth and actually better than the Warriors depth too a little bit. You know, last year, the regular season was won in the Pacific division by Sacramento, basically on health and depth. And I think the Lakers have positioned themselves just to have like maybe a half step lead over teams like Phoenix and Golden State from that perspective. Uh, You know, some of these guys are just more proven. I look at Golden State, you can talk me into a lot of their guys, but we need to see a lot of development from the younger players that we really haven't seen. In Phoenix, you just can't talk me into a lot of their guys, frankly. I'm just pretty much out on on their uh, supporting cast. With the Lakers, we saw you know a whole bunch of different guys step up at various points of the playoffs. They're not relying on guys who are 20. You mentioned Gabe Vincent, another kind of a proven, established guy who gets added to the mix. And there's a lot of balance there. So if we're acting under this assumption that like KD's probably going to play 50 games, right? Steph might play 55 to 60. LeBron's probably going to play around 55 five games if all these teams are going to be facing those same type of challenges i just think the lakers can weather uh that situation a little bit better maybe than uh phoenix and and golden state but you know to go back to danny's original point isn't the big question here whether gabe vincent whether some of these other guys are shooters because i think one (laughs) of the big things for the lakers is the difference between the production of you know vincent and rihachimura in particular during the 2023 playoffs as compared to the regular season so you know vincent's a 34 percent career regular season three-point shooter but he hit 38 percent in last year's playoffs and that's a big reason is was much talked about during the playoffs along with some other guys why miami ended up making the finals and you know it's going to mean a lot for the lakers whether Rui hachimura i mean he's not gonna be the 50 percent three-point shooter we saw in the playoffs but you know is he 40 percent or is he you know the kind of the low 30s guy he's been throughout his career including during last year's regular season with the lakers where he didn't you know he shot 30 percent on threes after the trade really wasn't you know exceptional but the play playoffs were terrific. I mean, this is something I've been thinking about a lot because I I put together a preliminary version of my stats-based projections for the upcoming season, and the Lakers are one of the teams that comes out lower than certainly conventional wisdom, but even than I expected them to come out, and I think that's probably a big factor in it, that those, you know, the box score projections that I do don't currently include the playoffs. One of the 
the first of all, the playoff point there is fascinating and how you how you incorporate that in recency bias and everything else. And one of the ways that I would describe the Lakers, and it's it's funny how this runs kind of through to an extent throughout this division. And I mean, it was part of Sacramento in the playoffs, too, is it's like how many players on their roster. And I agree with Ben's idea that they have a lot of depth and they have guys that I like. But it's the idea between good players and sure things. And so for the Lakers, you know, Anthony Davis and LeBron James, sure, you, you can you can get me there. And I'm I'm a big Austin Reeves guy as well. I think. Yeah, that, come on, put Reeves in there, man. He yeah. might be an All Star this year. I, that that seems a little bit rich for my <laughs> blood, but the idea that he's a good player and you know he's do, doing well, of course, in the FIBA World Cup right now. That and and I, I mean that would be a huge win for them if you can get their guy. But so what's good for the Lakers is that they have a lot of options. You know, you have Vincent and D'Angelo Russell and Rui and. Jared Vanderbilt, who can fill a really good role, even if I don't necessarily want him closing every game. And some of the other guys could pop. You know, maybe they're the Cam Reddish team. They're like the fifth try, so we'll see if maybe they can do it, or Jackson Hayes, or one of these other guys. And theoretically, because the Lakers aren't over the second cap, they could get some buyout guys as well, which is a possibility. And it's a similar story to an extent. I think the Warriors have more guys that I trust, but not as not all the way. And then like you can get into Sacramento and the Clippers, too, where it's like they're they have some unquestionable guys, but they also have a few, you know, still trying to figure it out spots, especially if we're not just building this on the regular season, but we're building this on closing fives in the postseason. Yeah, no, I, I think Kevin's point on Rui Mania probably not lasting forever is, uh, you know, very well taken. I mean, I think there's a, a pretty good chance that of all the guys they did sign this summer and they got a lot of credit for all their signings, his will probably look the worst. And there's a chance we get to December and people are like, why'd they pay him so much? I mean, I think there's some downside there. I was being a little tug-of-cheek about Reeves, the all-star, but I expect a a nice step forward from Reeves. I thought he made a lot of improvement from year one to year two. He's showing even more with USA Basketball, and I just don't think there's anything fluky about this guy. I I think it's he just plays the right way, plays within himself, super high IQ. He's a perfect fit with LeBron, perfect fit with Davis. Anybody else you want to play him with, he can play with. And I think that during the regular season, as you're trying to like eat innings and, and get yourself towards the playoffs, I think he's going to be impacting a lot of games from a win-loss standpoint. Um, I think he's absolutely going to, you know, entrench himself as that number three guy for the Lakers. And, uh, you know, we'll see where the bandwagon takes. I mean, couldn't you see Austin Reeves crashing the uh, fan vote in all-star voting? And, like, you know, they have to come up with some new rule to keep him out because yeah. uh, the Filipino fans of the Laker nation from worldwide, like, votes this guy mm-hmm. in over some other guys maybe with bigger names. I mean, I think it's going to be a nice, uh, you know, breakout-type season for AR. The, the league D- might Dubai be, as well. The league it's might fine. be sending Zaza Pachulia a gift basket for all of, for having encouraging them to fix the rules years before they necessarily had to yeah it's a, it's an interesting point I, I mean i really like awesome reason i think that we don't know how long lebron james is going to be a laker but i think that his game fits really well alongside that and that we're you know we're going to bounce around a little bit in the offseason part of this but one of the pacific division storylines for me of the offseason was Austin Reeves not getting a an offer sheet, like getting an offer sheet sufficient for the Lakers to sweat. And I, I do believe that there is credible reason to believe that the Lakers were going to match even a high offer. And I mean, it certainly seems like that was out there, not to the extent that they're going to get, you know, draft picks taken away or anything like that. But for the Lakers to walk away with Austin Reeves on a three-year deal with a fourth-year player option at about thirteen and a half million a year, like that's that's really good for. I mean, getting, getting that many Criminal. years, and so that's you know well done by the Lakers, but also San Antonio, Orlando, who basically kind of punted on their space. Like all oh, these teams, 
yes, there's a distinct chance that you're burning your that you're that you're tying up your space for four days and you get nothing from it. But do we really think that like the Orlando Magic and the San Antonio Spurs couldn't have done exactly what they did five days later and still been fine? I mean, I do think okay. we saw with Houston that sometimes there's a price to pay when you're you know convincing guys to stick around oh. for <laughs> beyond the opening hours of free or pre pre free agency. I guess if we're going to be honest about it, I I don't think it would have made sense for Orlando. Like, what do they care about the LA Lakers? You know, if you're San Antonio, I think that's the one team in the league that you can credibly argue should have gone after Reeves because you know if Victor Wembanyama is what we hope he is like the Lakers are a team you're going to be concerned about in a couple of years here and having Austin Reeves on their cap at that point at you know uh, 35 million or, or high 30s million whatever it would have been would be a, a real beneficial thing as a conference rival no I mean if you look ahead a couple of years and you're trying to imagine like what are the post LeBron Lakers look like having Reeves on his current number is such an asset in terms of their team building I'm not saying he's going to be like a superstar magnet but you're not starting from scratch you know if, if you've got a player like that um, in, in position I feel like the Lakers went from the worst value contract in the league with Westbrook to the best value contract of last summer uh, with Austin Reeves and and I thought it was like a heist, a criminal activity by Rob Palenka. I mean, obviously great work, but somebody else should have stepped in there and uh, at least taken a shot and, and increased that well, thing. I think that's going to be a decision that comes back to bite everybody, not just the Spurs uh, for a couple of years here going forward. One other quick note on it. It's also wild that they got him at this cheap for that many years. Like this could have been a two a two year deal with a with a third year player option. Right. And from Reeves perspective and like maybe that's, you know, I, I don't usually like to go like bad agenting, but. But I don't know exactly how that happened. But like Reeves could have gotten a lot more money in 2025 if he if he weren't going to do that. And, you know, there is a risk premium. And one of the funniest things and great things about the league's revenues going up so much is that these players, you know, like 13 million, even if it's a lot less than Austin Reeves could and could have gotten and I would say deserves it's still a whole lot of money. And so we'll we'll see some of these risk averse players take some take some interesting decisions. But Kevin, I want to go to you on because we're kind of melding these offseason topics together. Chris Paul, and I want to talk on the court and off the court in time. But let's start on the court because that's the more fun element of this conversation. What do you think he brings to the 23-24 Warriors and what do you think he doesn't bring? I think the first thing I'd say is I feel like the the storyline of Chris Paul's decline is a bit exaggerated. I mean, this is a point that uh, your colleague at the Athletic, John Hollinger, uh, has made a lot is that, you know, you look at it, him in terms of advanced statistics. He was more you know, more valuable when he was on the court last season than Bradley Beal in terms of his production. And obviously it's not what it was a few years ago. He doesn't put, pose the same scoring threat. And the durability aspect is a big part of it as well. But which not that not that, that necessarily works in Beal's favor and we'll come back to that with the Suns. But if we look at him in Golden State particularly, like the possibility of bringing him down, like, you know, he hasn't played fewer than thirty one point five minutes per game in his entire career because of the fact that he came in is one of the NBA's best point guards. Right. He was a thirty two last season like if you're getting that into like the 28 range you know i i mean maybe that's uh that's even aggressive uh but you know i'm sure that's what he's thinking is is in that 28 range does that help keep him fresher for the playoffs does that make him more effective over the course of the season and that's something you can do when you're putting him with steph curry i was amazed by how well i just went through all of his advanced stats and how well he scored for the regular season last year i mean he's right around 
like a top 50 type player by the advanced stats, which again is probably when you're watching him in the playoffs that he's just getting absolutely cooked and, and barely helping uh, is not what he, you know, that's not what the eye test said in the postseason. My biggest question with Chris Paul and the Warriors, it's mostly about style of play. And then the secondary question would be, are they just trying to use him to flip to get another player who could really help extend, uh, you know, the run around, uh, you know, Steph Curry and Clay and Draymond? Is there another D'Angelo Russell type maneuver here to like bring in another guy with his contract? Because I look at Gold State ball movement, a lot of pace, you know, it's a lot of, uh, you know, three point heavy offense. I look at Chris Paul, I think a lot more pick and roll. I think a lot more slowdown. I think a lot more, um, you know, pound, pound, pound with the dribble. And, you know, we're seeing here with, with USA Basketball, like they're kind of playing Warriors style. And a player like Brandon Ingram, who wants to play deliberate and pound and play from the mid range, has just proven to be like a terrible fit. It's just not really working. Um, and I think he's obviously not a priority for USA either. I just wonder with Chris Paul, you know, he actually came to Las Vegas for USA training camp and I like, had a little chat with Steve Kerr. I don't want to call it icy, but it was not warm. You know, it was not, you know, buddy, buddy, everybody's patting each other on the back. Like, you know, those, I, I think the history between Chris Paul and the Warriors is a real factor and they're going to have to work through that. We saw some comments from Draymond uh, along those same lines. And I just wonder if they're going to be able to meet in the middle on this stuff. Like, you know, maybe there's a computer, you know, algorithm that says, hey, Chris Paul could be more effective than we're thinking. But I just wonder if personal dynamics, you know, his age and his style of play and the way Chris Paul has always wanted to play uh, is going to wind up, um, you know, leaving this marriage a little bit, um, you know, less fruitful than they hoped. One of the questions that I've been lingering on is that I think the the sales pitch for Paul on the Warriors, one of the key stats is I've been fixated on this for years as somebody who's geographically very close to the Warriors, is that Golden State has had a below average offense relative to the league every single year when Stephen Curry's been off the floor. And the more part of the sales pitch for Chris Paul is that hopefully that for them that won't be the case. They can, you know, they, he can create a foundation. Incidentally, that foundation might have worked better with some of the players who are no longer on the team, like James Wiseman, you know, the idea of a pick and roll big and all that, which the Warriors don't really have. Now, he has had success with Dario Saric, who could be the backup center. That might be one of the things they do, which would be a lot of fun. But I am concerned about Paul's fit with the Warriors' best players because one of the underappreciated storylines for me of the Suns, it didn't really come into play until the playoffs as much. There was a little bit in the first two months of the year was that Paul looked to be significantly worse defensively to me. And once teams kind of really yes. realized that and went after him, and with Clay Thompson not being the defender that he once was, and maybe he'll be better this year, you know, another year off of his twin injuries. But with Curry out there and you don't want to give him hard assignments and Clay and then Clay's kind of being more of a forward defender now than a guard defender like he was in his best years, then are you really going to have like Gary Payton be the fifth beat? Are you going to have Andrew Wiggins take those assignments? Like how, how do you want to make that work? And if Chris Paul can't close games for you or you don't want him to, then that the idea of like maximizing him or making something work, that becomes a lot less tenable. And maybe that gets into the idea that Ben alluded to, which I was going to mention in passing, which is that Chris Paul could be matching salary in an eventual deal, even if it's not their Mike Dunleavy's intention right now to add a player who makes more sense with this foundation. I, mean, yeah, I would be I, very I, surprised if that's not part of their thinking at all. Yeah, yeah. It, it better be. It, it better be part of their thinking. And I think uh, maybe he got a little bit too much criticism during the regular 
regular season, as uh, KP said, opening up. But watching him in person in the playoffs uh, in that first round series, um, uh, you know, I just thought this guy's a massive liability on both ends. Danny, I totally agree on the defensive point. I mean, he was really struggling out there. And on offense, they're daring him to shoot wide open three pointers. You know, they're basically leaving him. Uh, and saying, like, go ahead and try to beat us, and he just could not do it. And I don't think it was a matter of minutes management. I just think it's a matter of miles and age. You know, we don't see a lot of point guards his age stay, you know, plus contributors or, or guys who can close playoff games at a really high level against top competition. Um, you know, it, it was, you know, a little bit sad to see, frankly. I've been a longtime respecter of Chris Paul's game and his approach, but I just kind of felt like watching that playoffs last year, the ship sailed. And when he got injured, you know, obviously you feel bad about an injury but it was almost a relief in a sense of like all right uh you know this at least it's over for him you know like at least we can just move on to uh to next season and, and that's why i think he's going to get traded if i had you know gun to my head i would say golden state will trade him because they're going to reach the conclusion that he can't play major uh, playoff minutes for them and they're going to need somebody else who can just quickly I, i'll like kp talk more but as somebody who is two weeks older and roughly the same height as chris paul him aging is not a surprise to me <laughs> well they're they're all jerry Geriatric millennials, man, in this is uh, in this division, right? It's LeBron, KD, Chris, uh, you know, Steph Curry. I mean, and go right down the list. We're we're lined up with all of them age wise. So yeah, maybe we're all feeling our mortality uh, watching this specific division. I don't know, Danny. I wasn't there for the uh, buffet, but I'm pretty sure you haven't gone to a vegan diet to uh, fair to point. Affect the, affect the effects <laughs> of aging. Yeah, I, a, a couple of stylistic things before we talk about the, the trade possibility. You, we've kind of talked about the negatives of it, but I think the interesting positive of it is Chris Paul, more than almost anyone in NBA history, has done a great job of reducing his team's turnovers. Sure. So putting him on a team that like yes. their one weakness has always been careless, sloppy play is a fascinating thing to see. I also think him and Draymond, like they're either going to you know get in a fight on the court or be best friends like there's no in between i don't think with him and Draymond. maybe both maybe i guess that's the in between so well, that's and, gonna be fun and to watch. on the draymond point one of the other benefits of chris paul is that last year the warriors had to separate curry and draymond more than they like right. to because the, they didn't have organization offensively or defensively without curry on the without curry on the floor the jordan that was part of the failing of the jordan pool minutes Chris Paul should be able to provide that organization and maybe the effectiveness isn't quite there. And so that, you know, that could allow some of the Warriors best lineups to saying. And one of the really interesting questions for me is how does Steve Kerr want to use Clay Thompson if this is if it's kind of the the Steph and we're talking about the non-closing minutes. If it's kind of like Steph and Draymond together and then Chris Paul together, Clay conceptually fits in either of those, but how does he want to use Looney? How does he want to use Clay in conjunction with those and Wiggins to an extent. Yeah. So to get to the kind of the the transactional piece of this, I mean, the other element we haven't talked about is they're subtracting Jordan Poole, who is good as he was for them in 2021-22 and, you know, much of that playoff run and you had the Poole party lineup. It wasn't the same last season. And I think, you know, you want to talk about Chris Paul being a liability defensively? Well, Jordan Poole certainly was in his own right. And what Paul's contract does is it gives you a bunch of options if you're the Warriors. Like, they've got this non-guaranteed 2024-25 season. So there's a hypothetical world where you could just keep Chris Paul into that. I don't think that's very likely. Shout out out to Eric Gordon and the Clippers. Right. You could walk away from him after this season and just, you know, maybe try to re-sign him using bird rights, but at a much lower number that gets your payroll in a more manageable place. Or the third option, as Ben alluded to, is you... 
you know, try to flip him during this season and expect that because he's a de facto expiring contract, that that's much easier to do than it would have been with, you know, I think well, Poole's just started his extension. So four years of Jordan Poole. Yeah, I mean, if you're Golden State, wouldn't you love to be able to trade Chris Paul for a guy like Jordan Poole, a younger guard who's more explosive <laughs> offensively? I don't, I don't I mean, think he's like, the guy. No, I know. I know. I'm, I'm obviously jokey, but, uh, you know, I, I think I have to charge at least some of the Jordan Poole experience and, and come back to earth to Draymond last year. I mean, clearly it was personalities. He couldn't get over it. Uh, you know, it was just the lingering tension. The organization sides with Draymond. You feel like an outsider. You don't get to start. You're in your feelings about it. I don't think Poole handled it very well, but I don't think he created the entire situation. And I want to look at the Draymond side of this, KP, because you sent me over the warp ratings for last season. I could not believe. I think Draymond was like bottom five in the entire league for warp. Now, obviously, he's yeah. a player everybody knows whose you know skill set doesn't always get uh, captured perfectly by advanced stats but I was still kind of surprised by that rating could you explain it and then I think Draymond slipped you know pretty noticeably uh, even in the playoffs you know his consistency this year wasn't as good as the title season and I felt like in the title year it wasn't close to being from an impact standpoint every single night what it was during their earlier championship years are we looking at the possibility of a Draymond decline that could really impact Golden State's win-loss record I think that's fair I mean I I will say on the box score stats part of it like he he was pretty good during his prime and particularly that 2015-16 season now a couple of things have happened number one you know his usage rate has declined his efficiency as a score has not gone up that dramatically relative to the rest of the league. And then the big thing that hurts him in my wins of a replacement player model in particular is that's replacement level is based on your position. And mm. he played a lot of center last year. And one thing that has happened is that I think people just haven't paid a lot of attention to is the typical efficiency of a center has just exploded now. Yep. Like it's, it's like 60% true shooting percentage is average for a center. So that's where Draymond is on, on low usage and uh, not necessarily filling out the box score quite the same way as steals and blocks dripped dropped pretty precipitously last year on a rate basis to the lowest marks in terms of steals in his career so that's that's an interesting marker in terms of that athletic decline you were talking about yeah i thought he got off easy coming out of the playoffs you know i I just didn't think he had the greatest postseason there was so much else going on and you know end of the warriors championship run is it going to get blown up people kind of got distracted by the bells and whistles but i thought he got off a little bit easy for his play uh, that's a really interesting breakdown. That would make me nervous, I think, if I was a Warriors fan hearing that. Yeah. Uh, let's get to the the biggest move, at least the biggest name to join the Pacific Division during the offseason. That's Bradley Beal. And Beal's both, he both is absolutely, to me, the best player that the Suns could have gotten considering their limited remaining resources because of everything they traded for Kevin Durant. He's also a really compelling fit with the Suns because he, you know, he can fill both. He can do a little bit of primary, but can also be a good complimentary player. But where I want to start is actually on the defensive end. And Beal, I think he's gotten cover in part because the Wizards haven't been a real contender for so much of his career for how limited he's been on that end. You know, he has a decent wingspan, but you know, you don't really necessarily see it possession by possession. That said, even at age 30, I think this is going to be Beal's best defensive season of his career in part because he's going to have accountability because he has to be good in order for the Suns to be viable. I hope you're right, Danny. I'm not sure I can uh, get all the way there. I think you know he, he was so negligent on the defensive end during that one season where he was chasing the scoring title. And obviously, when you're scoring 30 plus a night, you kind of get those uh, those kinds of passes. And this is going to be a different team context. But that version of him is kind of burned into my brain, and he's really going to have to like earn back 
you know, the kind of respect factor from me in, in terms of like trying to, con- you know, contribute to winning and being part of a winning group. This is a funny situation in Phoenix because, you know, after they lost to Denver, I wrote, look, they've got to move on from Chris Paul. I really wanted them to, to move on from DeAndre Aiden if they could have as well. And I also ex- expected them to change coaches, even though, you know, it's, it's hard to pin all this on Monty, right? And they did a lot of the stuff that I wanted them to do, and they probably got a better player in Beal than I even imagined they would be able to with the trade pieces they had. But then once it all shook out and they're, you know, they have to part with campaign, they have kind of scrapped the rest of their rotation. I just don't really love where they landed. I think they have a chance to be a good regular season team because Beal, Booker, uh, and Durant is so much offensive firepower and nobody plays defense during the regular season. And they're going to win a lot of games, you know, not uh, a huge chunk of the season, but there's going to be games where teams just roll over against them when they see these guys coming out. It's like, all right, we don't have a chance tonight. They put up 120, but I just don't like this as a playoff group. You know, the idea of like Bradley Beal, the point guard, quote unquote, needed to take on those assignments in the postseason, uh, you know, in the Western Conference when he's been hiding in the Eastern Conference his entire career, uh, you know, injury issues or, you know, the potential for them with all three of their stars in Beal, Booker and Durant. I think it's going to be a more functional, lower drama version of the big three with the Brooklyn. Lynette's, but I think they're going to run into the, some of the similar uh, questions and problems once they hit the playoffs, like those Nets teams with Harden, Kyrie, and Durant did. So I guess I'm just lower on the Suns in general than the hype. I love that they're on like you know opening night against the Warriors. I think they're going to be a really fun team to watch and have some really high moments. But I just do not trust these guys. I'm lower than the hype, but higher than you are, I think, because of the fact that like if, if we had had this conversation the day after the Beal trade, I probably would have said pretty similar things. I, I think that they did an awesome job of, you know, not just going for the biggest names in the minimum market and going for guys who were actually productive last season, younger guys like you, you talked about the geriatric division. I can't prepare with stats on that. Phoenix is only the third oldest team in this division. Wow. <laughs> is that is that is that factoring it by minutes by min, expected minutes played as yeah, well? Yeah, that's my projections for minutes played. So you have three of the six oldest teams, the Warriors number 2, Clippers number 3, Phoenix number 6, the Lakers quiet like with LeBron are number 9, Sacramento the youngest team in the division is yeah. about league average. So this wow. is an extremely old division. That's but, hilarious. Well, so who did you like younger. that they added? Who would you oh. like that? Utah, Utah Watanabe or, or Drew Eubanks? Or who were the guys that you're looking at as nice additions this summer? Those two in Keita Bates, Diop. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and Jordan Goodwin quietly in that in that Beal trade, like with, that wasn't part of the original reporting that they were going to get him. But I think he can play some minutes for them off the bench was effective for the Wizards. Bates Diop to me is the single most important guy because he's their best chance of finding a complete wing. And that was what they were missing last year in that Denver series that was really exposed is, you know, are we going to play the defensive guys? Okogi, who is back, Tory Craig, who uh, they let go elsewhere on a minimum uh, to Chicago. Or are we going to play the offense-only guys? Is it going to be Landry Shamit out there? Is it going to be Terrence Ross, who uh, uh, unsurprisingly remains an unsigned free agent at this point in the process? Bates Diop is the guy who's got the best chance of being able to both keep defenses honest as a three-point shooter and also take on the toughest defensive assignment, which is what they're going to need him to do when you look at playing with him, him with Beal and Booker. Yeah, it, it's a really fascinating group when you think about the different options that Frank Vogel has at his 
disposal. I brought this up in, in terms of like the Lakers before of just, I don't think it's necessarily going to be the same each night. And like one question I wanted to ask the group and I'll give my answer at the end because I've thought about this or I can give mine at first if you want. So during the times that Beal Booker Durant and Aiton are available and we'll assume for this that Aiton is closing those games even though that is far from a guarantee who do you think closes the most games as the fifth as the fifth guy and my answer which will probably surprise people if he plays even remotely like he did last year is Utah I think that Watanabe and Bates Diop have a really good chance at it in part because this team doesn't have a great point of attack defender I think it could be as many as like six different guys on given nights with Gordon and Okogi depending on the matchup maybe even a little bit of Damian Lee or Drew well Drew Banks would be replacing um Aiton out there kind of filtering in there but it's it's the the amount of options that Vogel has is at least useful. Yeah, I think Utah is their X factor to me uh, because I think you know he had that run in the first half of last season when Kyrie was you know kind of on one of his suspension breaks where it was like, oh my God, this guy's really breaking out. And it didn't feel like it completely stuck, uh, but there was enough to get excited about. I remember being at Crypto.com Arena and Joe Sai was sitting courtside, Utah's going nuts. And this is like the greatest day of his life. But then it turned out to only be the second greatest day of Joe Sai's life because then I saw him watch Sabrina Ionescu win the three-point contest in the WNBA <laughs> All-Star Weekend. And that was a thousand percent the greatest day of his life. But um uh, yeah, I think if, if Utah could stick and be a closing player for them, then I like it. I have a hard time, though, and, and I was mentioning earlier about people getting off easy with, with Draymond in the playoffs. Didn't Aiton get off awfully easy? I mean, hasn't he quit on his team now in two straight years in the postseason? I mean, there's some sort of mystery injury where he can't play against Nikola Jokic. I'll tell you what, my whole body would be injured if I had to line up against Jokic during the playoffs. I'd be injured every single night, but it just seemed like kind of suspicious timing. Felt like he quit on Monty two years ago Monty winds up getting fired this year and I don't like if he played for the Lakers or he played for the Celtics I feel like this guy would be public enemy number one based on the way some of these postseasons have ended and I feel like he's kind of slipped between the cracks and anytime you're getting blown out by 35 40 points whatever it was you know these last couple of years in the playoffs it's not going to be all on one guy but I have a hard time taking this entire endeavor seriously if they're going to be having DeAndre Ayton playing major minutes a huge role in the postseason I just feel like he's totally untrustworthy. He's the biggest wild card for sure, I would say. I mean, look, if they can get him playing at the level he was in the 2021 playoffs, then I think they do have uh, a chance to knock off Denver and, and hey, maybe Kevin, win the title. Is he going to cling to that for the rest of his career? Are I, we going to look back and say, hey, the one series he played pretty well against uh, Jokic in 2021, we just got to get back to that level. It feels like a rapper who has a good album when he's like 22 and then he just has like four straight uh, you know, duds. <laughs> Uh, that's where we're going with Aiden, aren't we? Or am I being too hard? You're not being too hard. I mean, I don't know that he got off easy because, you know, within the league, certainly the fact that they couldn't find a, a palatable trade for him, I think, suggests what his value was well, league-wide. And, and couldn't find didn't get talked about. Couldn't find a palatable trade when they could have taken somebody at a lot of different positions and roles. Like, they, they didn't just have to be a center. Like, I think they, especially then, maybe they, you were able to bring back Jock Landale. You could do some other things there. And that nothing materializes. Maybe that's evaluating it, but that actually ties in with the other thing that I wanted to talk about with the Suns, which is the other addition they had is Frank Vogel. And part of that might be, I, I don't know how you want to kind of tie these things together, but Vogel has had a lot of success with traditional fives and Aiton is among the, you know, like not necessarily in terms of the shots he takes and putting a beating on guys, which he doesn't do, but 
the, the theoretical best case scenario for Aiton defensively is probably, you know, taking those gifts and applying them in the way that some of the Vogel centers have in the past. And I don't think it's going to work, but I do think that considering Aiton is still pretty young and he has to understand what the stakes are here for him, it could, you know, it's, it's, it's possible. Ben, do you think it's possible? Uh, I'm out. So far out. I could not be f- further out. Look, I like Frank Vogel as a coach. One thing I'm looking at um, with his arrival at Phoenix is how does he manage Kevin Durant's minutes and Booker's minutes? And actually, I would throw Beal's minutes in there, too, because all three of those guys have had pretty heavy workloads at various points of their career. It feels like Kevin has reached the stage of his career where he just wants to be on the court at all times, and it's like a fight yeah. to get him off the court. That's not really working that well, Kevin. You know, it's like you keep you keep breaking down and having these leg injuries that sideline you for four weeks, six weeks during the middle of the season. Beal ran up some crazy minute loads under Scott Brooks. I know that's a few years uh, back now, but uh, I guess... You know, I felt like Frank Vogel struck a very empowered figure when he was with the Lakers. He commanded the locker room's respect. Uh, he took them, uh, you know, to the championship, and then obviously Westbrook showed up, and everything fell apart, and and that was a different dynamic. I think he's dealing with good personalities, a good group there, and I think one of his big challenges is going to be to convince these guys you don't have to play 38 minutes a night. You know, we got to keep something in the tank so that when we get to the playoffs, you guys are all ready to go and healthy and on the same page, and it's going to be a tough sell i mean steve nash never even tried he gave up you know in brooklyn with kevin durant and uh, i think that's going to be kind of mission number one for him and you know trying to coax you know maximum focus and effort out of ayton i think to me that's kind of a lost cause and i'm just going to continue with the slander so that maybe he could prove me wrong you know i'm just going to give him all the bulletin board material that he wants i mean i feel like those two things are connected because the other element of this is like you look at that starting five with Beal, durant booker like how is ayton going to get the touches that he wants he's not expects he's not so the, the way you do that is to take those guys you know reduce those guys minutes uh, sit them out strategically over the course of the season and then feature eight and a little more in those situations i mean i think you know that's the even optimistic- a tougher sell kevin oh hey 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 durant come here and sit next to me on the bench and we're gonna force feed eight and in the block it's gonna be a great time he's gonna be jumping back up and checking himself back <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's well. We'll see. I mean, I, I'm really interested to see how that part shakes out because when he showed up, he just immediately got injured, so we couldn't even judge it. And he seemed like a great personality fit with Monty. I mean, they're from the same part of the country, and you know, they, I think they have similar religious beliefs and all this kind of stuff. And that didn't go anywhere. You know, Monty was the first one out. So um, yeah, I don't. I don't think that part has shaken out, has it? I guess it hasn't. Yeah, that that'll be that'll be a question that needs to be answered at time this year. We haven't talked a lot about the Sacramento Kings in part because we're this is more the offseason section and Sacramento didn't do a whole heck of a lot in terms of the changeover. There was a possibility that they could shift around the particularly the forward spot, but they ended up extending Harrison Barnes probably because they got intel that guys like Kyle Kuzma and Jeremy Grant were sticking around, which both of them ended up doing at significant sums. Kevin, how do you feel about the reigning Pacific Division champions kind of standing pat? Well, number one, I feel like their fans are annoyed that even though they won the division, we're, we're getting waiting so long to talk about them. Number two, we haven't gotten into the your category, the 
rookie you're most excited to see. And that, that overlaps here because it's Sasha Vizenskov with all due respect yes! to my guy, Brandon Pajemski, uh, with the Warriors. I don't know if we're going to see as much of him as Vizenkov. I mean, this guy was the best player in Europe last year. Like, you know, I wrote about this uh, in a rookie of the year piece a couple weeks ago. Is like, he's like the, the longest of uh, the darkest of dark horses. Vizenkov, like he was actually probably better than Victor Wembanyama was last season. Now, obviously, he's in the middle of his career. Wembanyama is 19. You know, there's a reason that uh, we're much more excited about him. And I think Wembanyama's game translates to the NBA much better than Vizenkov's does on the defensive end. But this guy is a really, really skilled player with size who I, it, I'm fascinated to see how they're going to use him. Because offensively, like the fit with Sabonis seems awesome in terms of, you know, another shooter, another creative player to put around him. Defensively, the idea of putting them together as a front court seems highly flammable. And that's where we probably still will see a lot of Harrison Barnes because of the fact that they brought him back as part of this, you know, kind of quiet sand pat, largely stand pat off season. Uh, and, you know, the the other element then to skip way ahead to the breakout player, like the number one guy in this division by far is Keegan Murray coming off of that huge summer league performance in front of home fans. Like very solid as a rookie, held his own in the playoffs. I think this year is the year he starts to explore the studio space a little more is a is a shot creator. Well, question I wanted to ask you, Kevin, was, uh, you know, I think just before the offseason, a lot of people would look at the Kings and say, well, they pretty much had perfect health during the regular season. They took this big jump in terms of win losses and everything was going right. They liked the new coach, the, you know, the, the chemistry and the camaraderie was so great. Maybe this is a plexiglass principle candidate where like, you know, they just bounce back to earth a little bit rather than taking the next jump. Um, that might have been the assumption for some people, but I think the counter argument would be Fox is getting better and still on the upswing. Like, I don't think he's peaked as a player. Uh, Keegan Murray, like you said, is a breakout candidate, although he might not have the biggest year two jump from year one because he's older than most uh, rookies when he first came into the NBA. You can still definitely expect development from him. I think you could make an argument Sabonis could maybe be even a, a little bit better or at least not regressing at this stage of his career. They have a lot of these young guys who are on the upswing and then they throw Vizenkov into the mix where they didn't really have anybody like that last season so I was just curious from your sense like are they uh, a plexiglass principal team are they going to just bounce back to earth naturally or do you feel like they have enough upward you know pieces here where they could just kind of you know break that uh, conventional wisdom and, and take another step because if it's the latter I feel like they should probably win the division again right I think if you're starting from the point of you know a, a top three seed home court advantage in the first round like yeah, there's pretty significant regression, you know, uh, potential from that. I mean, we talked about, you know, and, and you sort of alluded to this. They're the youngest team in the division by far. So that works in their favor, like in those preliminary stats based projections. And they're still very preliminary. Uh, Sacramento is, you know, third in the division and closer to second than fourth. So, you know, I think I think they're very much in the mix. It's just that it is we'll talk about at some point when we order these teams, I think you could put them in just about any order one to five. Yeah. Well, if I was a Kings fan who's angry that we buried them um, while listening to this episode, I think my t- like my top line argument would be Darren Fox is the best player in the division. He doesn't get his credit. I think that would be my argument if I was a Kings fan. Would you guys care to uh, agree or disagree? 
I don't think he's the best player in the division, but I do think he was the best clutch player in the league last year. Here's what I'll say on the well, Kings. Well, wait, what about for an 82-game sample, though? Oh. You're taking into account, like, how many, you know, like, obviously, Steph, you know, you could probably make a strong case for him, but he's going to be out 25 nights, right? Like, who's going to give you the best season next year? Does Fox have a case? Well, I mean, uh, is the biggest argument there his teammate? <laughs> it could be. Well, I would take I take Fox over Sabonis, but I don't know what you guys think. I, I think that's more of a playoff thing than a regular season thing, though, right? Like, well, Fox and that, is just awesome, man. I, Ke- I Kevin, that ties Kevin uh, that ties in with, with the thing that I wanted to say about the Kings, and this will, of course, this will bleed into the preview that we do, which is. I believe that Sacramento's offense is completely legit. They, you know, number one in the league, maybe they, they absolutely have the capability of doing that again. But I'm talking more like this is a top five group. And the theory of the case is strong. They do need Sabonis to play, but he didn't play healthy last year. You know, that's one of the biggest dynamics in this that doesn't get fully appreciated is that they were healthy, but part of why they were healthy is that Sabonis was playing hurt. He had that fracture in his, in his thumb and just kept on playing, kept on being awesome. And... Their defense was bad. Their defensive personnel was bad. But they can, you know, that the idea that they succeeded, the part that I think is so compelling with SAC is there, to me, there is a completely reasonable argument that they are going to be a similar caliber team. So if we want to use clean the glass net rating last year, the Kings were plus 2.4. And that is very good. That was good enough for, for eighth in the league. That was good enough for, I believe, third in the Western Conference. The challenge for Sacramento on that front is that plus 2.4 is generally not good enough to be the third best team in a conference. Generally, there are going to be teams that go past that because they're healthy or because they have better talent. And so I think the idea that Sac will be a similar level of team, it's just that that placement might be a little bit different. But they're still, I think they're still in the mix. Like this, it's so interesting. You know, like there's maybe a comparison with them and like the Knicks. And remember, the Knicks ended up finishing second in cleaning the glass offensive rating last year. I think that the Kings will be up there again. Well, I think what you're talking about is sort of what the computers that you get ESPN and all you guys put out, where it's like the Clippers, Lakers, Kings and Warriors are all projected for 45, 46 or 47 wins. You know, and so it's like might as well just flip a coin at that point. Like, you know, if you're like in that plus 2.4 range, like, yeah, you could be second in the division. You could maybe you could win the division. You could also be last potentially. And you can just separate it by a game or two, right? Sure. Um, something that I wanted to to throw out to the group, and I'm guessing because of his predictions that Kevin is closer to this, which is I was thinking about, you know, like the rookie you're most excited to see. I agree with with your statement that it's Sasha Vazhenkov. I agree with that. The crazy thing about this division is how few players on their first NBA contract at all. So Vazhenkov counts, even though it wasn't a first round pick. I'm not going to say rookie scale are even going to be in base rotations for these teams. I mean, so if you're gaming it out, the guys that we expect to see every night when their team is remotely healthy, probably Vazhenkov, Vazhenkov and um, Keegan Murray, obviously, who, you know, the, for the Kings, Jonathan Kaminga, presumably for the Warriors. And I mean, neither. I mean, so Austin Reeves isn't on his first contract anymore. The Clippers don't really have any of those guys right now. And the Suns, I mean, they don't really have any guys <laughs> on their first contract at all. Like they, they yeah. have young guys, but they don't necessarily have that young guy. So like Clippers do have Kenyon Martin Jr. Is still oh, that's a, that's game. a good call. Yeah. And what and, about, uh, do we still talk about Davion Mitchell or no? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, so I think you can make an argument there are probably about five in this division, and the Kings have three of those five. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, yeah, that's crazy. I actually think Kenyon Martin Jr. is kind of an important—I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's overselling it, but 
I feel like he jumped to me a little bit from that Clippers roster because we really haven't talked about them much. But I feel like they're a team that actually got worse. They didn't make a ton of offseason trades, but I think they just got worse because of the passage of time. You know, right. being at the kind of the end of their season, you know, the, the exit after Kawhi gets hurt and he's not on the court. And they're just sort of kind of going out meekly. And it's a Russell Westbrook, like, sprinting for layup show as they're just kind of getting completely outclassed in a pretty low-energy first-round series. It was a depressing feeling in the building for the Clippers, right? It just, it felt like not a complete end of an era, like it's blowing up, sort of like, uh, you know, at the end of the the Warriors run when KD and Clay got hurt. But it just kind of felt like, you know what? This really doesn't work that well anymore. Uh, and I, I think when you're looking at Kawhi, a year older with another injury on him Paul George with another um, injury late in season on him and another year older Batum is basically saying it's going to be his last year you know it's kind of the farewell tour uh, wait, Westbrook wait, wait. I, I gotta break in though like everyone says Batum has never said that his, his wife, wife said has it. said that he hasn't well, said look, it hey look I mean Kevin I don't know if you're married but you don't get to <laughs> make those kinds of statements on behalf of your significant other without some uh, uh, you know without some sort of uh, an okay but point taken i'm just saying this team is old and i think the, the their key players are on the wrong side of it their key players are in decline i mean you know just go right down the list of their bench guys who aren't as helpful as they were say two years ago they have to kind of pray for an amazing breakout season from terrence man they got to really hope that Kenyon martin jr is a key energy type guy for them in in big moments uh otherwise i i think this is the team of the five that has the the lowest shot of making the playoffs and this is the team that i would predict to miss the playoffs out of the five and correlated to that this is the team I think that needs to trade for James Harden I understand what I'm saying with that because that would mean I have to go to a lot of James Harden Clippers games (laughs) in person next year there's a real risk to that kind of a statement but I think they're done as currently constructed I think they have to shake it up and make a move and and part of my thinking there is influenced by this idea that Michael Winger uh, left the Clippers he was like sort of this long-term big-picture strategy type thinker came up under Sam Presti in Oklahoma City and he seems to always you know get credit for being able to read the chessboard and the idea that he's going to leave Los Angeles and the Clippers right before they open up this new arena uh, not this season but the following season and a team that's been a pretty perennial playoff team to go to a total rebuild situation in Washington all the way across the country at this time I just wonder if he's reading the board and saying, look, you know, the best times are behind us. We never got the breakthrough. It's time to go have a a new job and a new challenge somewhere else. And uh, that's why I think the Clippers should pull the trigger on James Harden. That's why I'm low on the Clippers. We're we're on the same page completely there. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. It's funny because it's like doubling down on their weaknesses to a degree if you trade for James Harden. (laughs) But it's the one move that seems to give them a chance to legitimately contend this season. Danny, would you do it? Yes. I would, knowing what we know right now and like the general contours of the deal. I'm not sure that Daryl Morey would do the deal that I would offer as Clippers. Like, I'm not going like five first round picks or anything silly there. But what's so frustrating about the Clippers, and I've been, you know, believer in them even when it hurt me for many, many years now. And I even commissioned people on the Dunked On Discord to make a Lucy pulling the football with the Clippers logo on her face for a very specific reason. And it's what happened last year was so different because they had all these players who just they aged at once together. And so you could think about, you know, like Robert Covington could have made a lot of sense with this team. Marcus Morris could have made a lot of sense with this team. Batum, to me, had a worse year than I hoped and expected. And nobody really stepped in. You know, like Terrence Mann, I think, is a totally credible player. Coffee's totally fine. I'm interested in where 
KJ Martin fits into all this, but they they haven't really given themselves too many outs. They haven't really made they haven't made life easier on Kawhi and PG yet. And I, I like Norman Powell. I think that there are some conceptions. I think there are some moments where the Clippers will look feisty and they'll look good. But it's, I'm not even saying like, oh yeah. I mean, for next year's playoffs, we're going to be five years removed from Kawhi being the best player on his title team. But we're also we're also going to be multiple years, multiple playoffs, and another injury away from what was closer, which was the unbelievable series that Kawhi put on Duluka Doncic and before getting hurt and tearing his ACL, the Joe Ingles play and everything else like that. And while I, there are a few things in basketball I would love more than for Kawhi Leonard to 2019 Kawhi Leonard to make a triumphant appearance in these playoffs. I can't expect that to happen, and that's their path to relevancy. Yeah, and I think that you know his setbacks since then, especially last season, and just always the questions around where's Kawhi, how long is he going to be out, what's exactly the um, you know the nature of his latest injury, and all those kinds of things. It's it's always cryptic uh, around that situation, that organization. There's just a lot of buzz, you know, about just some frustration and like, oh, here we go again. It's a deja vu type season. That's really hard to break through. And I think that's actually one of the reasons why Westbrook had a surprisingly positive impact when he got there is because he's not somebody who cares about any of that stuff. He was, you know, kind of a fresh face and hadn't lived through the previous struggle. So he just kind of like hit the ground running and went to work. But at the same time, it was scary to me how reliant they were upon Westbrook down the stretch. Like what a big part of their playoff formula Westbrook was. You're just never going anywhere if that's going to be the case. That's another reason why I would trade for Harden. And, uh, you know, what's interesting, I think if you're the Clippers, bigger picture, you have this arena coming out. Balmer's been waiting for years and years, you know, to have this thing. It's his pride and joy. He's uh, helped, you know, design every last detail, right? You want but like, you know, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, like how many of those guys are net positives when we come into the start of not this season, but the following season? Like how many of those people are getting fans excited to, you know, financially commit to that group and to go to Inglewood and see those uh, games? Like there's a chance maybe one out of the four is actually a net positive and the other guys have just sort of, you know, um, you know, burned bridges, but just kind of like petered out in a way with their careers where they're like no longer headliners. And as you guys were mentioning earlier, they have no younger generation. They don't have anybody who could step up and fill that role. And that could leave them in a really weird spot, uh, you know, this time next year. Ben. It could leave them in a really weird spot when they start talking about extensions with Kawhi. That's exactly where I was going to go is do you think that that factors in of just the possibility of this year going going really far south that they just want to go in a different direction or somewhat importantly Kawhi Leonard or Paul George wants to go in a different direction well yeah that's the thing Kawhi Leonard and Paul George you know neither one of them has given any sort of an indication that they're at that point Paul George feels very comfortable in Los Angeles he made a very smooth transition to podcast host and now he's even doing impressions right so I I feel like having his family around him at all these games like it's it's hard for me to see to Paul George want to have like a different closing chapter because this is home and, and they treat him very well and uh, kind of you know cater to him just like they cater to Kawhi Leonard at the same time he's the guy who I think has the most basketball left of these star players who we're talking about so he would be the guy who actually I think would bring the most value if he were to move on you know to a different team I'm just not sure that's his motivation at this point um, you know it's always a difficult to read the tea leaves both from the player side and the organization side but I, for me I just can't see the Clippers going into that new building without having names even if those names play 35 to 40 
40 games a year and just sort of always disappoint everyone. And that's, you know, that's just tough. You know, I think you'd rather have the guys than not have them if your backup plan is, hey, this is the Terrence Mann show and Avika Zubak. It's the young and hungry Clippers. Here we are. Like nobody's going to, uh, you know, to go watch those guys. Wait, can I sneak up in defensive quiet? I mean, yes, we're longer now from that series against the Mavericks uh, that predated his ACL tear. We're also only, as we record this, a little over four months past him scoring 69 points on 24-44 shooting in the first two games of the series against Phoenix. Like, he was awesome, and then he got legitimately hurt. Like, I... Yeah, well, what were I'm, I'm a little the, cynical... What were, uh, what were his numbers at the end of that series? Okay. Yeah. I mean, same look, as his numbers, the previous playoffs, right? I mean, zero, 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 zero. But I think, you know, the timing of injuries sometimes can linger more than, you know, the, the existence of them whatsoever. Like if that happens in, you know, November, his season is totally different than if it happens in April is I guess what I'm saying. Fair enough. But I, what, what I saw from the Clippers last year was this very careful management of Kawhi Leonard coming off of the big injury, right? So they started him off really slow. I remember watching him in October and November and thinking like, this guy's done. But it turned out he was just playing like 50%. Like he wasn't, he was just really trying to ease into the season. He wasn't really playing defense at all. He was not really looking for a shot. And the strategy worked pretty well. I mean, he really came on towards the end of the season. He was ramping up. He was having takeover moments. He was holding up in bigger minutes. And, like, they felt really good about, you know, this is a challenging situation. We're keeping our best player on the court as much as possible. But every time he gets to these playoffs, it's happened, you know, two playoffs in a row now, when he really has to go to sixth gear and he has to do it consistently and he has to play playoff minutes against top competition, something fails you know and you could say it's a fluke here you could say you know it's a fluke there but I'm just in the position where I can't trust Kawhi Leonard to play an entire postseason run uh, ever again like I'm just in that spot it's like prove it to me I I just do not believe it's going to happen I don't think he can hold up for you know 20 plus playoff games where you're playing every other night and he's got to play 38 to 40 minutes a night I just don't think he can do it I feel like there's a difference in terms of like, you know, the the repeatability and the relation to, you know, load in particular when you're talking about like the muscle strains that Chris Paul has experienced in his career in the playoffs as opposed to speaking you know, of injury timing and, a, and an ACL tear. Yeah, well, the Clippers fans have gotten to experience both of those players, so they know every flavor <laughs> of this. <laughs> and they have Blake, and Blake Griffin, too. <laughs> I mean, you even look back to Chris Paul's Clippers days, like I covered the that Blazers Clippers first round series that totally changed his injuries. It was like, what, a a broken broken thumb or something like that and then you know for chris paul like totally just a complete fluke nothing to do with anything but it always seems to happen in the playoffs let's let's go on to the i mean we've already covered a lot of these bases but talk about kind of the season preview and kevin i'll start with you here because you have done more modeling than the two of us have um rank these teams one to five i typically say regular season record but just say what criteria you're going to use if it's not that i i am going to use that again the modeling mostly says it just gave me a shrug emoji (laughs) i typed that question into the chat gpt or whatever computer quit (laughs) well it, it suffered a torn meniscus uh I, I We did our, our off-season summer forecast a few weeks ago at ESPN. I went with Phoenix number one. I had Golden State and the Lakers both at 45 wins, Sacramento at 44 wins, and then the Clippers alone in five. So basically it's like Phoenix a little bit ahead, those three teams threw a blanket over on them, and the Clippers a little bit behind. Yeah, I, I see it. Phoenix won, and again, the, these, these teams are all, they might even be all within the same tier if we were doing it as tiers. Phoenix then I think the tightest bunch is sack the Lakers and the Warriors. I will go, oh God, I was, I, I 
change the order three times in my head just while I've been framing the <laughs> sentence. I'll go Warriors, Sacramento, Lakers, but it's honestly like I think all of them are going to make the playoffs. I think they're all going to be in that mix. And then the Clippers fifth, which is wild considering like they could absolutely make the playoffs. And who knows if if the C's part, maybe they even win, win a couple series. I mean, it's plausible all five of these teams is to jump on the pre- next question. It's plausible that all five of these teams in the same year could make the playoffs sure. if things go wrong in the Southwest Division. It's also possible that all five of these teams have a guy at the end of the playoff run that we feel like was the best player in the division this year, you know, depending on how like the postseason yep. shakes out, like Kawhi resurgence, KD resurgence or Booker takeover. Steph does his thing. Fox has another playoff run, uh, you know, LeBron or Austin Reeves. Uh, just kidding. Uh, you know, pops through as, as the guy or even Anthony. We should, Davis. Mention, yeah, probably... we should mention Anthony Davis's yeah. name at some point during this podcast. I don't think he's come up yet, has he? Just in uh, passing. Well, it's. Yeah, I thought he was really, really important against uh, Golden State. Yes. And it felt, it wasn't like a crowning achievement, but like his defense gave the Warriors problems in a way that I didn't feel like any other player's defense from a big man throughout their runs, even going back to the heyday, gave the Golden State problems. The only issue for AD was that that was immediately followed up by just getting absolutely punked by Joker. And so it's like, all right, well, uh, everybody just forgets the good that you did because uh, you just got swept off the map by the best player in the world. Davis has done a really good job defending against the Warriors. I mean, even going back to when he was on the Pelicans, those teams generally defended the Warriors well. It was just they didn't have enough juice offensively to get the job done. And yeah, I mean, one of the questions that I ask in this is how many teams make the playoffs? My instinct, and I I phrase it how many, not which, for for a very specific reason, which is that that allows us to kind of hedge on some of the stuff of like, oh, an injury. And even though there are eight teams that make the final eight, I think it's four. I think there, I, I think it's for me, I don't necessarily think that it's definitively the four that I said are the top four. But to me, if one of those four falls out due to injury, I think the Clippers are a totally reasonable team to take that spot. Yeah, I had four as well. Uh, the Clippers were the, the fifth team that I did not include. I think one benefit of having these geriatric superstars is that if you get into a play in format, the experience really wins out. I think we saw that in the Lakers Timberwolves uh, play in game where the Lakers did not play their best game. But down the stretch, you know, they just felt more tested, more ready. Um, obviously, they weren't throwing punches at each other like the Timberwolves were in the case <laughs> leading up to that game. Uh, or at the I, wall. I, right, right. Or at the wall, exactly. Uh, but I, I do feel like Katie in a play at game, hard to go against him, right? LeBron in a play at game, Steph in a play at game. And I, I do think that's probably why they're going to wind up getting four. I don't see any way they're going to get four in the top six, which they did last year. I mean, that was pretty wild. Um, and it just seems like unlikely that will take place again. My order for the division, um, and I echo everything you guys said about how tight it was. I went Lakers one, Kings two, Suns three, Warriors four, Clippers five. Nice. KP, are you are you four teams as well? Or are you three or five or two? I said that I think it's a fair question, which is more likely three or four, because I do think that Dallas and New Orleans have a a, a decent shot at making the playoffs. Ben made a compelling point about the play in aspect of it, so maybe maybe that tilts us more towards four than three. What about OKC? Are they crashing the party this year? Plausibly, although their projections are not as strong as I expected either. Yeah, well, that's a sidebar. Why uh, is it? Did they just win too many close games last year, or, or what was the what was the issue? You know, I haven't dug deep into that one, um, so I, I don't have a good no answer worries. for you off the top. Yeah, yeah, of my head. No. All right, no worries. No, K- KP, it's it's still August. You have to have a firm sense of everything, everything <laughs> that everything that your preliminary stuff is predicting. And uh, I only ask because I'm super high on OKC. I can't wait to see I Chet. You know. 
in that mix, I think Jalen Williams is going to have a massive breakout season, but, and Shea is just killing it in FIBA, like every single night killing it. So um, I want to know what the computers know that I don't know is basically why I asked. But, by the way, God, uh, what is, I mean, I don't know if you want to share this with me, but the threshold for getting top six in the West this year feels like it's going to be brutal. I don't yeah. think it's going to be dramatically different than last year. That's, really? that's one of the things I've heard. Like, you know, this has come up a lot, I think, on on the Hoop Collective, like the idea that the West is much better than last year. And I don't I don't think it's that different. Like just the guys are going into the season healthy. We don't know yet which of them are going to get injured. It could be any of them. Could be all of them, sadly enough. Uh, last question for the group, and we can start with Ben. Um, I don't use the term breakout specifically to mean stars and superstars because there actually aren't that many of those that happen each year. But just players that we will be talking about in the Pacific Division differently in April, June, July of next year than we are right now. Well, I think we've we've touched on a bunch of them uh, naturally through this conversation. But to me, Austin Reeves, top of the list. Keegan Murray, who KP mentioned uh, earlier, top of the list. I think Terrence Mann, depending on whether there's the trade or not, I think like if the Clippers are going to be a team that makes noise, it's because he had you know some revelation of his career. And the last guy who I'm not actually convinced is going to have a breakout, but if he did, I think it would be a really, really big deal. And that's Jonathan Kaminga. Uh-huh. I thought watching him in person a couple times down the stretch of last year, I just felt like his feel for the game and his timing were off. Like he just, you know, positioning, spacing, didn't know when to cut, wasn't making good decisions, forcing shots. Maybe he's a benefit of Chris Paul's high IQ, you know, keeping him involved, getting him easy baskets. Maybe he just needed another year to kind of get himself comfortable there in Golden State. He's got the incredible body. There's no question about the physical tools. I feel like there's going to be an opportunity for a lot of minutes for him in Golden State if he's able to actually um, handle them. And I just don't know if he's going to be able to. I saw Kaminga in person at the Jamal Crawford crossover pro-am a few weeks ago. Not that you can really take much from that setting <laughs> where he was just you know throwing down a lot of mon- monster dunks on non-NBA players. But he, he did shoot the ball fairly well from the outside. He, he was quite impressive in that setting. I, the other guy I'll throw out is like, this is like a, a long shot, but could be, you know, a, a game changer if it happens. Bones Highland for the Clippers. Like that was Ooh. a nice little flyer for them at the deadline. Understand why Denver had to move him from a chemistry standpoint. And it, it worked out. Things worked out fine for the Nuggets. But that was a, a lo- nice low cost flyer that I think made sense for the Clippers. Well, and things did not work out for Bones, though, because he got buried behind Westbrook. You know, and I think he's probably yeah. feeling like he's getting the second chance. And now what if they trade for Harden? Like what is <laughs> like, like Bowens is going to have to go on strike. Man. He's going to have to demand a trade back to Denver to, to get his to get his opportunity again. Um, well, I, I, I want to competing with Reggie Jackson. I like his chances better. I, I want to. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I want to invoke a couple of players that we've mentioned before, but I think are, are good for this, which is one of them is whoever is the fifth closer or fourth closer for the Phoenix Suns. Yuta Watanabe is my favorite, but could could be one as well we never came back to that i i think watanabe is too big for that role because to me that guy has to be able to defend the opponent's best perimeter player regardless of position and mm. watanabe is more of a four or five to me defensively than he is a one through three i think you can do some three stuff but he, yeah i don't not the one and the two probably primarily i think you're just gonna have to i mean devin booker was more of a defensive playmaker than a possession by possession guy but he was so much better defensively than i expected in like the the 
early part of the playoffs in particular, but honestly, most of that run, when their defense fell apart, I don't think it was Booker that was the failing. It was a lot of other stuff. Yeah, I think the great thing about Phoenix is uh, they have a whole bunch of guys who are supposed to be that stopper. None of them are actually going to do it, and that's why they're going to be a disappointment. <laughs> um, a couple other guys. Um, Sasha Vazhenkov, we already brought him. That I think that was a great point that Kevin brought up earlier. I'm happy he emphasized him there because that was a part of it. Another Sacramento King, and Caitlin Cooper has done a great job articulating this before, which is Chris Duarte's best chemistry player, like the best fit he's ever played with is DeMontis Simonis, and they're together again. I don't think he's going to get a ton of opportunity because they have Herder and Monk, and you can't, you can play one of those guys at all times, but I don't think in key moments you can play more than one. So that could be a challenge, but Duarte, like, I think he's a totally credible NBA player. I think that he could end up in that conversation. I will echo Kuminga. I think that Kuminga, there's a chance that he ends up closing some games for this team. And another player who has a chance to, depending on how things work, I will not quit on Moses Moody yet. I mean, I, I thought he was a good player as a prospect when I watched film on him. I thought, generally speaking, when he's gotten minutes, other than like some weird defensive foibles the last couple of years, like they're, it's so funny with these teams. We've talked about like, one of the through lines of this conversation is these established geriatric millennial names. But there are opportunities on all these teams to take to take the reins like Austin Reeves did. And you're not trying to be the centerpiece. You're not trying to be the superstar. And because these teams have expectations, because these teams have wattage and they have eyeballs on them, there aren't necessarily opportunities to become the player, to become like the max guy. But to become a secondary or tertiary like key contributor, basically all five of these teams have opportunities. Yeah, uh, just on Duarte, I think he's so crucial for um, you know injury and, and depth uh, help, right? Like you know if they were to have uh, issues with any of their starting guards, which they kind of avoided last year, I feel like he could step in and be really really capable. And so I, I like that one, even if even if he's not playing huge minutes to start the season, there could really be like a six week eight week stretch where he gets to step in, keeps the offense humming and they don't take some big step back because fox had a bad ankle sprain or something you know does anyone think that there's a a meaningful chance i'm not going to say in any chance to take the parlance of somebody in this conversation that we that we're sitting here a year from now saying keegan murray is the best sophomore in the league don't see it i think it's within the realm of possibility but i i think it's unlikely given you know Paolo Bagcaro's projection the fact that he's on the you know the world cup team right now all of that seems to add up to he's got a pretty good chance and like even if you're looking at kind of the hipster pick then Jalen Williams and Walker Kessler still may be ahead of Keegan Murray in line there right going into this season and so what does that make team Chet you know we're, we're, we're something more extreme than hipsters I don't. Well, yeah, I guess I wasn't counting Chet because the, is he a sophomore and not you're, you're draft him. pick? I, yeah, I, I mean, see, he's, you're, he's you're eligible for a year. He Look, is. I, I know. I, I read your stuff uh, on that. Uh, it was a get good out of here, down. Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, well, look, uh, Powell is having a great FIBA World Cup. I wonder if he's going to be one of these guys who winds up being better at FIBA than the NBA, you know, like the, the whole FIBA mellow thing. Um, I think there's a good chance Jalen Williams at this time next year will be viewed as the best player in the class. Very reasonable. Yeah. This is a this is this is a Jalen Williams. I mean, we you, you, the three of us could probably do a whole podcast on the Thunder right now. But instead, it is time for us to go. I will thank both of you so much for taking the time to come on. Well, thanks for having this. It's always fun to do this every year. Yeah, I, thanks for having me, Danny. I'm glad I could motivate the Suns to go out and win the title. So hopefully, <laughs> they they got plenty of material from us today. Between them and the Kings, we gave some bulletin board stuff.
Thanks again to Ben Golliver and Kevin Pelton for taking the time to come on. You can read Ben Golliver's excellent work at the Washington Post. And of course, if you haven't already, you can read Bubble Ball, which is excellent. You can listen to The Greatest of All Talk, and you can follow him on social media at various different various different places, typically under his name, Ben Golliver. And Kevin Pelton, excellent work with ESPN, and he's K Pelton on Twitter. And yes, as I mentioned a little bit in the intro, this, you know, the the hiatus is over. Let's put it that way. I have recordings scheduled for a lot. And my full expectation is that I'm going to do everything I usually do during the offseason at Real GM Radio, just in a compressed timeline. I'm I have discussions ongoing with people for all six division capsule podcasts. My expectation is that all of those will get done and hopefully plenty of other great stuff as well. I apologize for the delay in everything, but thankfully there's been plenty of other good content from other wonderful people who make it in the basketball world. I do not think for those who are going to ask that I'm going to do too much on the FIBA World Cup, I would accept that the timing of games is particularly rough for me. So I I may watch some of it myself, but asking people, hey, you know, if especially while well, use West Coast timing games are at like one thirty a.m. and all that, that's that's a lot to ask. But also we have all this division stuff and other content to get through. So probably not. We'll have to see where things go. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe in whatever podcast player you choose, download every episode. Subscription is great for Real Jam Radio, but honestly for every other show, but particularly for us because it's never going to have a specific timing. So you can't get into a rhythm with it. And just so you know, there will probably be multiple episodes per week, some weeks coming forward. We'll see how all that shakes out closer to the time. So subscription is, is the way to do it. And uh, you could you could do that, whatever podcast player you choose. You can also have other people find the show. That's through leaving a rating and a review in that podcast player of your choice or through social media, just helping other people find the show. And, you know, Real Gym Radio has been around a long time, but there are still people who do not know about it, who have the opportunity to find it. So I really do appreciate that. The most important thing to do for podcast in all forms is to check out sponsors, but this episode does not technically have one. So check those out for other people for now and check out ours when they come back, which should be very soon. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. I'm not the greatest at replying, but I do read everything. That's why I call it feedback. Um, so you can, you can do that. Also, you can check out my other work. I've written stuff at The Athletic recently, a couple pieces that are out, Sixers piece, team-by-team, cap space estimates, and I have, I think, three others that are in the writing-slash-editorial process. So that should be continuing to move well, and I have a bunch of other ideas. It's, I have, actually have nice windows to write now, so hopefully I'll get some of that done. And that is all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day. Mm-hmm.